There is a lot of confusion these days about identity. Some of us may even struggle in one way or another with our identity, with who we are, wondering um, if what we have been is what we still are, or, or wondering if there might be something different that we could be. I know one of the troubles in this season, uh, where many of us are away from our normal workplaces and our friends and our family and a lot of things, um, that can set a, 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 that can set us in in a confusion about who we are, right? Oftentimes, what we do is who we are, and if we're not doing what we usually do, then maybe we are not who we have been. We may struggle with wondering who we are, what our identity is. But that is a problem that I don't think Jesus ever had. Jesus knew who he was. And the passage that we're going to look at today is, um, is a passage where he tells us exactly who he is. It's the tail end of uh, John chapter 10. We have been in John chapter 10 for a number of weeks now, and we are going to finish it today. I want to start reading in verse 22. This comes um, really at the end of the parable um, as Jesus speaks of being the good shepherd. It's a continuation of that as well, though. He's going to address the sheep again and that he is the shepherd this really is kind of the object lesson of that parable. It's, it's where the teaching goes if you follow it through to its end. So let me read this for us. This is John 10, verses 22 and on. It says, At that time the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, It is not written, is it not written in your law? I said you were gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, You are blaspheming? Because I said I am the Son of God. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know. And understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, 
And they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Friends, this is the word of the Lord, and a good word it is. We may ask, we may often ask, we may wonder at times, did Jesus ever really say who he was? We may wonder even now, who is Jesus? And it's only in really seeing Jesus' identity that we will begin to see and to know ours. Right? So if we have questions about who he is, then it's going to lead to questions about us. And so today what we're going to do, we're going to start by looking at the identity of Jesus, who he self-identifies as in this passage and in scripture, and then we're going to look at what that means for us. So I want to start here. What does Jesus say about himself? We're going to look at two things, two statements. The first is that Jesus identifies himself as the Christ. Jesus identifies himself as the Christ. Right, looking at chapter 10 and going down to verse, uh, verse 24, it says, So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Friends, what you need to see here is by Jesus' answer, he's, he's saying what they're looking for, right? They're wondering, are you really the Christ? He says, look, I've already told you. And not only have I told you, but the things that I've done have supported that. The things that I've done have bore witness to that. Now, we don't need to go very far to see that his words have done a great job of convincing others already that he is, in fact, the Christ. Right? If we just go back a few verses where we've been looking today, back to verses 19 um, through 21, it says there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is an insane. Why listen to him? But verse 21 says... Others said, these are not the words of one who was oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Right? It's been his words that have caused some to begin to believe that he's the Christ. If we take some steps back further from that, we could go to the story of, of Nicodemus. When Jesus teaches him, his eyes become opened and he begins to see that Jesus is the Christ. Right? Another story we see that is Jesus has, has gone into Samaria and he's ministered to the woman at the well. Right? He teaches her, he gets to know her, and by the end of the story, not only her, but much of her village, the village of the Samaritans there, believe because of what he said. Right? His words have testified to who he is. They believe he is the Christ. 
Additional to that, we see here he defends who he is based on his actions. The, the text actually tells us that, that his works have bore witness to what he is, to who he is. Now that phrase, to bear witness, comes from the Greek martyrio, which is where we get our modern word martyr. Right? It is to, to bear witness, to testify. And Jesus has always been from the beginning willing to testify, to witness to who he is, both in word and in deed, even to death upon the cross, right? We often think of Stephen as the first Christian martyr at the beginning of, of the book of Acts, but he's not the first Christian witness who would lose his life for the sake of the gospel. That's Christ who is the first one to fully witness, fully be martyred for the sake of the gospel. In verses 37 through 38, what we see here, moving forward in our story a little bit, is Jesus says this, he says, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, Believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. See, sometimes his words can be a little elusive, hard to understand. But what he says even here to these people is that if they would just see what he does, they might be able to believe even though they haven't believed his words. See, so often it's seeing Christ's power at work in the world that causes people to come around and believe the words that he's spoken. This is what we often see in ministry and in evangelism. Right here at Calvary, we want to preach the gospel boldly, right? We, we do so and we talk about this, that, that we go and show and tell the gospel boldly, right? It's not just saying it. It does include saying it and speaking it, but it is showing it as well. So we look at Christ, and Christ has spoken of who he is. He has shown them who he is through his actions. I'm reminded of the story of John the Baptist in his moment of darkness and doubt when he's in prison. Right, John the Baptist sends a messenger to Jesus and says, Jesus, are you really the one? Are you really the one that we've waited for? And if you remember Jesus' answer, what does he point to? Now he points to scripture, to the book of Isaiah, to the prophecy, that the, what the Messiah, what the Christ would be. And he says, hey look, the blind are made to see and the, the deaf can hear, the lame can walk, right? These are the things Jesus did to testify to who he was. It is his words and his works that show us his identity. This should not come as a surprise to the Christian who's familiar with the word. Right in Matthew 15, 18, Jesus actually tells us that you will know someone by what comes out of them, not by what goes into them. And what comes out of a life? What came out of Jesus but words and works? 
Christian, what comes out of us? But words and works. We too, like Christ, are known by what we say and by what we do. Right? What shows us his identity also shows us ours. The words and work of Jesus revealed that he was the Christ, clearly and plainly for those who would hear. And that's important because what we see in this passage is a group of people who won't hear. Right? They won't listen. They won't see. In fact, they actually blame Jesus for their missing it. Despite the fact that many before this have come to believe he is the Christ because he has spoken clearly in the past, when they come to him here today in this passage, what we see is a very similar thing to the kind of thing we often do. We blame God when we don't get it. They say in verses 24, How long will you keep us in suspense? How long will you keep us in suspense? Jesus' answer to them is, hey, look, I've already told you and I've already shown you, but you won't get it. You won't get it. Jesus then says, and reading just a little bit more here, right? He says, the works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. What's Jesus' point here? It's not that he hasn't spoken clearly, it's that they haven't listened. James Montgomery Boyce says on this, it's a dangerous thing to ask Christ to speak plainly. For when he speaks plainly, he really speaks plainly. Right? They're looking for an answer and what he gives them is their identity. He says, hey, look, there are sheep who know me and there are you who don't. Friends, it is never the posture of the sheep to blame the shepherd for their missing the point. Right? If the sheep find themselves in the wrong place, wandering off in the pasture, they don't turn to Jesus and say, hey, shepherd, where were you? No, instead, when the shepherd comes and finds them, they go with him, right? They go with him. Jesus has clearly spoken. He has clearly shown them. He is not keeping anyone in suspense, but they won't listen. Friends, Jesus is the Christ. His words and his, and his deeds, his works show that. All right, the second thing we see in this passage on who Jesus is, is this, right? That Jesus identifies himself as God. I want to say this really plainly, right? In the first case, he he identifies himself as the Christ. Here, he identifies himself as God. Now, we see this at the end of the paragraph that we have been looking at thus far. Starting verse 27, sorry, 28. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
Verse 29, my father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Verse 30, and this is where it gets really clear. He says, I and the father are one. Now, if you are an English speaker hearing these words, it is very hard to deny that what Jesus is saying here is important and big and clear, right? He says, I and the Father are one, right? I don't know who you are or where you're from or what your understanding of Scripture is, but in this passage, what we know is that he is saying something that's really important to catch and really clear, right? The face value of these words, simply put, is that he and God are unified. Jesus is saying more than that God is his friend, or that he and God are tight, right? Or that they are close, or that they're on the same side, right? His language here goes beyond that. Those things are true, of course, but they don't go far enough. You or I might love God. We might be close to God. We might be friends with God, but we probably not, nor should you, declare that you are one with God. We know, or we should know, that at best that would be a stretch, and more likely it would be a bold-faced lie. For any of us for whom sin still lives could never be united with God, and certainly in the way Jesus is speaking of here. There is more to this than a creative wordplay, a hyperbole, an exaggeration, or Jesus being mistaken. Friends, he chooses his words well. And when you have an understanding of, of Scripture and of the themes throughout, you would see this. And whether you do now or you will in a minute, I pray that you would understand and hear this well. For Jesus chooses his words here not just to say that he and God are, are unified, that he and God are tight, that, that he and God are together. He uses this well for a specific reason. His I and the Father are one. Now, when you hear something like that, you should start to think, well, what does it mean to be one? Right? Where else do we hear about one? Well, in, Bi in the Bible, there's a few spots. One is in the story of, or in the, the context of marriage, right? When a husband and a wife are joined together, they become one, right? And we know that while physically we are different people, there is a spiritual and emotional connection that causes that couple to be something different than they were before. This is why it is so painful when a couple makes the hard and difficult choice to get divorced, to separate, because they are rending into what had become one. Now that isn't enough. That image is not enough for us to think about what it means when Jesus says that, that he and the Father are one. For that, we need to go to another Old Testament illustration to the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 6, verse 4. To the Shema. This is a, a passage 
that every single Jewish person in this time would have known, been familiar with, and had memorized. From Deuteronomy 6.4. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Adonai Echad, the Lord is one. Friends, when Jesus says that the Lord and I are one, he's saying more than just that they are united and that they are unified. He is saying, I am God and with the Father, and ultimately the understanding would come a little bit later with the Spirit, I am one. Now we know that this is true because of the response that's made right after this. Right in verse 31, the text says, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Right, he has said something they cannot deny. He is saying he is God. And I know it may feel like I'm even rambling a little bit here. I'm, I'm not. This is something we need to get. This is something we need to understand. I could say it a hundred more times and it would not be enough unless we truly get that Jesus is declaring himself and the Father to be echad, to be one. Now this is not the first time the crowd has wanted to kill him. It's not the last time that they will want to for this very reason. When you read the book of John, I just want to tell you, do, never, do not ever let anyone ever tell you that Jesus never claims to be God. Right? There are those in this world, Jehovah's Witness are among them, and there are others who say, well, Jesus, Jesus was a good guy, or Jesus became a God. He was never in the first place, or he became what we need to strive to be, any number of those sorts of things. And when you read the book of John, when you read John chapter 10, when you read John chapter 10, in these verses, you see Jesus declaring himself to be God. And this is consistent with the teaching of the New Testament. Right? You go to Colossians 1.19 where it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The fullness of God. Everything that is God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 He is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature, right? He is the radiance. He shines like God, not in an image or a false sense, but in the fullness. He is the exact imprint, the exact imprint of his nature. Friends, Jesus was and still is God and has always been God. Before there was a creation, before there was a time, Jesus was. As such, it is right and fitting for us to worship Jesus. To give him all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. When we think about Jesus, there should be a balance 
between that familiarity we get, between our brother, our friend who is there and with us, and, and the comfort of that, and a balance of that with the fact that, God, that Jesus is God. One of the ways that, that I do this in my own life, I do a lot of prayer walking, a lot of mornings I wake up and I, and I go. And a lot of times I walk out of my house and I, and I say this, I say, good morning, Lord. But there are other days that I begin my morning walk with something more along the lines of, oh, most holy and awesome God. Right? We have to balance that familiarity that we have with our friend Jesus and the awe-inspiring power of God in man, of God with us. Jesus is clear about his identity. And I will argue that what that should do for us is help us with our identity. One of the simple ways that you might think of this is, is this, right? He is God and I am not. He is God, I am not, right? One of the ways we define our identity is by what we're not. He is God and I am not. He is sovereign, I am not. He's in charge and I am not. And so we look to him for our identity. And what we see here in this passage is, is that Jesus secures our identity forever. And it's only because of who he is that he can do that. Jesus secures our identity forever. Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, is enough to save us. Jesus as God is the one who is truly sovereign enough, in charge of the earth and heaven enough to secure us for all time. Friends, in verse 27, we see that there are those who believe in Jesus, who put their trust on Jesus, who believe and have faith, who know Him. And if I can state the opposite clearly, what I want us to see is that there are those who don't believe. And not believing Jesus is a sign that you do not know Him. Friends, this begs the question, of what we need to believe. Right? And we can think about this broadly. What do we need to believe? Well, we need to believe the Word, right? To know the Word. To do our best to understand the Word. To see God's help in knowing the Word, right? We're given the Holy Spirit to teach us, to show it to us. And so friends, especially when we're falling short on knowing it and understanding it, we turn to God to help us, right? We need to, in that broad sense, we need to believe the word. But specifically, as we come into today's text, what is it that we need to believe? What is it that those who are secure, those who are, um, who are in the Father's hands forever must believe? And I think there are two things for us to look at here. The first is that 
we need to believe that he is who he says he is. Right? That he is who he says he is, right? He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. The second thing that we need to believe is that we are what he says we are. Friend, that you are what he says you are in him. Now, I'm going to guess most of us listening to this right now don't have as big of a problem with number one as they do with, with number two. Right? Most of us who are listening to this, we believe that he is the Christ and he is the Son of God. But I know that many of us listening to this may struggle with knowing and believing that what he says we are is true. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that we don't doubt, struggle, have questions, right? But it's okay to be in that place in belief. He will bring us along the rest of the way. But maybe you're someone who doesn't know yet, doesn't believe yet that Jesus is the Christ and that he is God, right? That he is the son of God. Maybe you don't believe that. And, and I want to invite you, if that's you and you're exploring this and trying to figure this out, I want to help you figure this out. I want to show you what I've come to see in scripture about who Christ is and how that answers who we are. Right now we can't get together for a cup of coffee or something like that, but I would love to have a phone call or a video chat with you and address this. But for the rest of us, for the rest of us, for those who probably struggle more with number two, right, believing that we are what he says we are, that's what I want to spend most of the rest of our time with, right? What does Jesus say that we are? And I don't want to go beyond this passage. There's a lot that Jesus says that we are in him throughout scripture, but here in this voice alone, I mean, in this, in this passage alone, we see a number of things, and I want to address them really quickly. And they all flow out of verse 27. Let me read that for us again. Verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Verse 28, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Friends, simply put, we are his sheep. That is our identity. It's our first identity. He is the shepherd. We are the sheep. His sheep hear his voice. Friend, do you believe that you can hear Jesus' voice? Whether that is um, through prayer and through him speaking directly to us, which I believe happens and have experienced in a few different ways or whether it's through scripture, the words that he's given all of us, that we might know and believe who he is. Right, the second piece of the identity of those sheep is that they are known by the shepherd. And we've talked about this for weeks now, what it means to be known by the shepherd. Right, the shepherd can pick his sheep out of the crowd. He knows who they are. His sheep follow. His sheep follow. Now, we're not always perfect at that. We get this wrong all the time, but, but Christ's sheep follow him. They get to the end of the pasture and they're together. 
Friends, that's part of our identity in Christ, is those who follow Jesus. We go where he goes. We do what he does. Friends, next we see that the sheep, those of us who, who believe, we have eternal life. Right? Our life is set forever in him. We have eternal life. So in this life, what does this short life matter apart from giving ourselves fully to him? Knowing that he will lead us into eternity. An extension of that is the next statement I would make about our identity, and it is this. His sheep are those who can never be snatched away. Who can never be snatched away. Right? That's what it says here. When we look at verse 28, he says, They will never perish. Never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. A little bit later, he says, no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. There is no snatching going on. And this kind of harkens back to the beginning of chapter 10, when we are told that there is a thief, a murderer who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Right? And Jesus says, even of that enemy, nobody, nobody can snatch you out of my hand. It's what he says to you, it's what he says to me. Friends, we are secure, and that's beautiful. That's a wonderful truth that we need to believe and know. The challenge, though, is that for some of us, while nobody can snatch us out of his hand, some of us are living like we already have been or will be very soon. That we could be snatched away at any moment, right? We do that, number one, by living in fear and anxiety and worry, by letting those things run us, right? Friend, if Jesus, if the Father has us in their hands, right, forever, and nobody can snatch us out, then what is there to be afraid of, to be anxious about? Right, another way that we do this is with sin in our lives, Right? We are living lives that have nothing to do with following Jesus. The things that we do, the things that we consume, the things that we watch, the things that we put ourselves into have nothing to do with being one of God's sheep. You might say that, that you're living a double identity, right? You are living this way here, but when it comes to Jesus, you're living here. Right, it's all praises and glory over here, and over here it's everything else. Friend, are you living as if you've already been snatched away? What I want to urge you to, if that is you, and I would guess in, in every one of us there's some of this, is to repent, to turn to Jesus and confess your sin to him, confess your fear and your anxiety and your worry and your doubt and repent of it 
and turning to him, follow him. Right? Because if he's the Christ, if he's God, if he's the good shepherd, then our identity is found in him and in him alone and not in anything else. Friends, we may self-identify as any number of things. But we do not have the power to change our identity, to make us what we say we are. But Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, who is one, who is echad with the Father, who is echad with the Holy Spirit, He gives us our identity and He makes it so. Friends, would you pray with me as we finish this time in the Word? Lord, I pray that that you would speak to us and I pray, Lord, that you would show us who we are in you. I pray, God, that that we would be a people that that don't look to um, anything else to figure out who we are, but to you alone. God, that the identity that you have given us is bought and paid for by your blood, and it is given to us in your sovereignty and in your goodness, and you are making us into something that we could never have been otherwise. I do pray, Lord, if there's anyone listening to this who has not found their identity in you, Lord, that they would do so today, that they would uh, believe, that they would confess and repent of their sin and turn to you alone as their Lord and Savior. I pray, God, that you would show us clearly who you are today, that our glory and praise might be lifted all the more to you. And God, we thank you and we praise you and we do give you glory and honor. Help us, Lord, as we continue our worship of you. Amen.